You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Thank you, band, for faithfully leading us in worship and all those who are so faithful in set up and take down and all the different ministries as it's all getting up and rolling again. It's an exciting, it's a busy time of year, and um, we're just thankful that now we can tear into God's Word and see what God's Word has for us. The ushers are coming forward. They have Bibles in their hands. You can take your Bibles if you have them in your, on, uh, on, uh, have them right now. You can take and turn to Acts chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers would love to lend you a Bible, or if you don't have a Bible at home, please take that Bible home um, and, and allow that to be a gift to you from God that he desires for us to be people of the word and to have a copy of his word and to learn it and to read it and to know it and understand it and apply it to our lives and see lives change because of it. And so Acts 21, we'll be look, looking at that in just a few moments. In March of 2013, so six years ago, I was skiing with our son Nate and his classmates, classmates at Silver Star Resort. His school was going up there for the day and so I was able to tag along and go with him and, and uh, I was enjoying the day. It was early afternoon. I was flying down the hill. I love speed, at least my kind of speed. I thought I was going pretty good and in the back of my head, I heard this little voice, Lutzer, you better slow down. You're not as young as you used to be and, and, and I ignored those words. I thought, no, I'm invincible. I'm fine. And it was a few, few um, runs a little bit later that I was flying down the hill, keeping ahead of Nate and his buddies, just showing them this old guy still has it. And I went over this bump, I mean jump. And, and I mean, it was, I got some big time air, probably at least two inches. And uh, that was enough to just throw me into tailspin. I wiped out, I lost my skis, and this was the way I came down the hill afterwards. And, um, and there you see my wife at my feet. Uh, once again, just serving faithfully. And, um, and, and, you know, that was not what was expected that day. And uh, six weeks later, that um, cast finally came off. But none of that that day, I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. And nine years ago, when we moved to Kelowna to embark on a new ministry venture for us with a sense of desire and excitement and intrigue to be able to serve the Lord and be part of a multi-generational church here in the city of Kelowna, but never did we think that that journey would involve a season out of ministry. And then this, church planting. Didn't see this coming. Most of you five years ago didn't see it coming that you would one day be attending church in a movie theater. Didn't see it coming. Or I think in January of this past year when my in-laws woke up one morning with a developing health challenge for my father-in-law that led to a diagnosis of cancer kind of put some aspects of their life on, on hold and, and, and cause us all to kind of rethink some things and, and uh, just look at life a little bit differently. And thanks be to God, his treatment and recovery is going well. And they're even here visiting us today from Saskatoon. And so we're thankful for that. But did, they didn't see that coming. We didn't see that diagnosis coming. And I'm sure all of us sitting here today can think back to certain events that have taken place, whether it be devastating news, a breakup, a conversation that we had with someone, maybe it was with a boss, maybe something came in the form of an email, a text message, a call on the phone, a knock on the door, and suddenly in that moment, your life changed and you didn't see it coming. All of us, I'm sure, can think back to something in that regard well, the Apostle Paul faced many unbelievable challenges over the span of his 30 years of ministry. He knew right from the start, just as we need to understand right from the start, that following Jesus is not going to be easy. There's going to be trials. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be saying yes to certain things and no to other things. But Paul had no idea, I am sure, the depth of what the suffering and the challenges would be. And many of the things that Paul encountered, I am sure, as he was going through it and even afterwards, he would have said, I didn't see that coming. But what we see here in the Apostle Paul is a resolve. The challenges that he faced, he did not question his faith in God. In fact, his trust and his confidence continue to, to grow and become stronger. Another thing that those challenges that he faced did not cause, did not mean, is that his character didn't change. 
Instead of allowing the challenge, instead he allowed the challenges to put his character and his faith and his trust in God on great display. And what a beautiful display that was. You see, what God did and God allowed was absolutely beautiful, incredible, even supernatural in and through his unbelievable challenges. Now, if you remember from last week, as we're kicking into this series here, as we trust that this fall season, we will finish up the book of Acts. And we started in Acts 21, and we're partways through it now, and we're going to continue on in a moment. But if you remember from last week, the Apostle Paul had for some time his sights on Jerusalem. He was hoping, he was dreaming, he was planning, he was strategizing, he just couldn't wait to get there. You ever have something like that where you just have a destination, you have something where you just, you know, maybe it's to go visit some family members, maybe it's to go to the mission field to see someone, to, to go on a trip here or there, and you just have it in your sights, and you're just like, I cannot wait for this to happen. Well, Paul, for Paul, that was, that was Jerusalem. He had hopes and dreams and a burning desire to get to Jerusalem, and he knew, he knew up front it wasn't going to be easy. But what we're going to see happen today in his life, he didn't see coming. He didn't see it coming at all. And so here he is on his third missionary journey, a map that we looked at last week. He's in Caesarea. He's getting close. He's getting close. He, uh, he, last week we started, and he was, was back in Miletus, a little ways up there near Ephesus. He was up there, and kind of he, he made his way to Caesarea, and so there he is, and, and he's getting close. It's finally going to happen. He's so excited. He, he, you know, and and, and it, it, the dreams were going to become a reality. Let's face it, as we know from the book of Acts, we know from the life of Apostle Paul that he already faced crisis after crisis. I mean, he was, he, he, he was thrown into prison. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned in another city. He was cast into, into just the hands of evil people. Wherever he would go, it would seem that he just faced trouble and torment. And, and each time he escaped... At the last possible second, oftentimes, and then he would be off to the next town and find himself oftentimes in a worse crisis. And it seemed like his crisis, just kind of as you track what was going on in his life, just continued to go from bad to worse. It just continued on. They weren't getting any better. And yet we see Paul demonstrating great faith, great character, great boldness, and persistence. But there's another quality that we're going to see here in God's Word today that is so real and so powerful, and it is what will, what will power any and all of us through the challenges, the unbelievable challenges that we are bound to face here on this earth, especially as we desire to live for Christ. And here it is, we see a great humility in the Apostle Paul. Not only did he write and preach and teach about humility, he lived it. And I believe here in this passage today, we're going to see three principles that we can see in the Apostle Paul that we can take and we can learn from him. Why? Because he learned from Jesus. And so when Paul said, imitate me, follow me as I follow Christ, he's setting an example of a human being following in the footsteps of Jesus. And so we can follow him, we can learn from him, and we can see incredible humility. And I believe these principles will help guide us help guide you today, wherever you are at in your life. No matter what kind of a challenge you are facing, these principles are transferable to each one who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to see, first of all, uh, when facing unbelievable challenges in humility, we seek God's glory, not our own. In humility, we seek God's glory, not our own. I encourage you to write that down. Because this will also be a reminder for you throughout the course of this week as you write this down and, and some questions that we must ask ourselves in regards to God's word in light of what we're hearing today. So I encourage you to be writing these down. So let's start the story here in, in, in verse 17 where we left off from last week. When we had come to Jerusalem, so okay, the map there, he made it, he made it to Jerusalem. 
He, what a moment. I mean, his sights have been set there and he made it. I mean, this was that, believe it or not, I'm walking on air. Like, I, I, okay, I, the 80s got me, okay? You know, or else like, it's the eye of the tiger. You know, it's like, we're here. It's a dream of the fight. We're here or celebrate good times. Come on. And it was, I mean, he made it there and it was gonna be completely awesome for, for him to be there. Okay, let's continue in verse 17. For when we had come to Jerusalem, the brother received us gladly and oh that would have been an awesome celebration the hugs the kisses because they did that in that culture and 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 the warm embraces and the celebration no doubt the potlucks that that took place there because that's what church people do when they have fun and want to have fun and, and and celebrate great things and 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 no doubt they presented Paul and his entourage um, Dr. Luke and Silas and others that were from that third missionary journey would have presented the money the offering they had ch- that they had collected for the church in Jerusalem because they were going through famine and hardships and persecution and, and, and so it gets better. So, so they received gladly. It's awesome. Verse 18, on the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. And after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands are among the Jews of those who have believed. So, so give a little context here, James, it, it, it talks about James just to give you some understanding. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, the step-brother to Jesus, who's the pastor, kind of the head elder, he's, he, he's the big guy in charge of the church in Jerusalem. He was the one who wrote the book of James. Great guy, humble man, godly man, wrote a great book in the Bible. And as Paul is giving this detailed report, he's giving it to James and the other elders. One, th- one other thing about James he had a nickname. It's kind of cool that back then, you know, they had nicknames for people. You know what they called them? Old Camel Knees. Apparently, according to church history, that was one of the, uh, the nicknames they had for him. You know why? Because his knees were so worn and callous because he was a man of prayer. That's a great nickname to be able to have, isn't it? To be known as a man, to be known as a woman of prayer. And his knee, knees showed it as he would be on his knees so often before God in humility and dependency. Love that about James. Love what we can dig out of God's word and, and through the history that surrounds God's word. And so what a time this would have been. Paul is giving a detailed missions report. And I mean, some of them were some pretty incredible stories that he had to share about his three missionary journeys, including the imprisonments, the miracles, uh, thousands of people saved, the churches planted, the beatings, the imprisonments, the time that he took rods and started laying a licking on him, and, and, and the message that he was able to preach on Mars Hill. And oh, what a time of celebration, what a time of rejoicing. And, and yet this wasn't Paul's attempt to be impressive but rather it was a deliberate sharing and, and, and just rejoicing in what God had done. Notice what it says. He, he related one by one the things that he had done. No, the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. This was the type of sharing that was so consistent in the life of the Apostle Paul. It was never about inserting him into the story. Even when you read his writings, you see at the start of of so many of his writings in his books, he starts out as Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, depending from where he was writing. And as he relates relates these details to to the elders there and to no doubt the others that had all gathered, I mean, this wasn't Paul getting the glory, it was God getting the glory for this. And and, and then the elders started to to share the good news of what was happening in Jerusalem, how thousands of Jews had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And here's Paul as he's telling this story, you know what, folks, our flesh will always want to insert ourselves into the story. To make others look at us and say, wow, look at him, look at her, look at how amazing, look at how smart, look at how whatever, insert whatever in that that person is. Look at what I have done, look what I've accomplished. Folks, humility is the better path, but it's rarely the easier path. It means a death to ourselves. It means putting others ahead of ourselves. In our minds and in our thinking, in our conversations, we have to be thinking constantly, who's getting the glory for this? Am I a glory thief? 
Am I stealing the glory away from God? Am I wanting the glory and the applause and the accolades to land on me? Or, is I, or, or, or am I simply just re, to reflect and to give God the glory? Be very, very careful. That was one of the initial things. That was one of the primary, initial and then primary things that got Satan kicked out of heaven. He was keeping, he was wanting to keep some worship, some glory for himself. Why give it all to God? I want some of it. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. Pride is a killer. And so oftentimes we can become so self-righteous and, and, and so big and so high on ourselves in so many different ways in, in our lives. And, and I just want to read, I came across this just late, late last night and... Um, Sorry, it's just on my phone, but I, I just believe that, 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 that this just puts an exclamation mark on this po- point, and it's from J.D. Greer, a great pastor and, and uh, just a great man of God, and he says, the moment we take our eyes off of the gospel, the moment we take our eyes off the gospel, those rodents of self-righteous and self-condemnation spring back up. So we must pound them with counterintuitive truth of the gospel. God's acceptance is given to us in its entirety as a gift we receive by faith to the praise and the glory of God. And so oftentimes, as soon as we get our eyes off of Christ, as soon as we get our eyes off of what he has done and get them on ourselves, they're just like the rodents of self-righteousness start to appear out of nowhere. Currently, we have chipmunks that are appearing out of nowhere. We've never had this problem in, in our neighborhood and my neighbors are noticing and we have, and they're, they're relatively cute until a little earlier this summer when um, I was asking Charlotte if there's something we should do about these rodents, I mean these chipmunks, and um, she's, oh no, they're so cute. And then one day I came around the corner and I saw one of them chewing, uh, enjoying a number of our peaches on our peach tree and I shared the news with her and she gave me permission to look for ways to encourage them not to be in our yard anymore. You know, and, and it, but it's so amazing that these things just kind of appear out of nowhere and, and now we're hearing rats being a problem in our city and, and, and various things going on. Well, in the same way, the rodents of, right, of self-righteousness can, can pop up so much and we want to be the center of attention. And it's Jesus who has to be at the center of attention. He is worthy. He is the one. He has made all things possible. No glory to man, but all glory to God. Amen? That is how we are to be living our lives. And so we see this humility in the life of Paul. It's not about our awesomeness. It's not about our greatness. It's not about your kids and their accomplishments or your grandkids or your business ventures and how awesome and our, or your ministry or your ability. It's how great our God is. And we need to get the right size and the right view of him because he is the giver of all things. He is the creator. He is the sustainer of this universe. One thing that really grinds my gears these days is watching professional sports. And um, I mean, I enjoy watching professional sports, but one thing that just drives me crazy is just the arrogance and the antics of players, and especially you see it right now on the football field, so much self-promotion. After they get like two yards, they're getting up and they're doing the dance like they've just won the Olympics or, you know, like all of this stuff in, the, in your face and all of this junk going on and a part of me is just play the game already. Well, last week, the Chicago Bears have a rookie undrafted field goal kicker named Eddie Pinera. He kicked the game-winning field goal with, with zeros on the clock that sent the city of Chicago into hysteria because last year, that, ci- that city or that team was just bombarded with terrible kickers or terrible kicks at the wrong time. Their kicker was missing them, even caused them an early exit out of the playoffs. And so it, was, it has haunted the team all all off-season, and then out of nowhere comes this undrafted rookie, this kid, this skinny little kid, of uh, just, and he kicks, and the city is in love with him. Here is an interview a few seconds after the game. With the hero of the game right now, Eddie Pinheiro, Eddie, all off-season long, the story in Chicago was the inability to find a clutch kicker. Today, the story and the answer is you. Yeah, that was... Like I said, I couldn't have done without my team. Thank God that it was to this point. And for everybody listening, man, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you better start because he's real. I promise you that. (laughs) 
I just love that, you know? I mean, he's getting it. He's getting the accolades, and he's like, no, no, it's a team, and, 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 and God, and, and then he just brings it in, you know, hey, Jesus Christ is real. And I'm just thinking, okay, I don't know a lot about this guy, but I love the way that he inserted himself out of the story and put Jesus into it. And it seems there's some humility and, 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 and as he even interjects his allegiance to Christ. Man, our world could use more folks who are following in those steps of that kind of humility and giving our allegiance to Christ. And so, so, so I just kind of thought, you know, that was an interesting exclamation mark on what we're talking about here today. And so even Paul here, here he is sharing all that God has done. The elders then are sharing, hey, Paul, while you were away, I mean, there have been thousands of Jews who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Some estimate that between 20 and 25,000 Christians in the city of Jerusalem who have given their hearts to Jesus Christ. And so this is just one of those awesome celebration, kumbaya around the fireplace kind of moments, you know, as they're roasting marshmallows or whatever they roasted back then. What an awesome time of celebration, but then all of a sudden it changes. Here's something else we see, and this is point number two, in humility... We submit to God's authority on earth. Verse 20. And they said to him, after all of this celebration, and they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands are here in, among the Jews of those who have believed? And this is where it goes south. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to the customs. So here you have this great moment, but then all of a sudden it's uh, 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 one of these like, oh, it's done. They said, Paul, there's these rumors going around about you, and we're going to have to put them to rest. The Jews, it says, who are zealous for the law, meaning that they have come to faith in Jesus Christ, but they have not at this point yet have abandoned their old customs and ceremonies of the Old Testament law. They kept them as, uh, they continue to keep following the law, not as a means to earn their salvation, but as an expression of their worship and their love for God. And so in and of themselves and what they were doing in that wasn't wrong because they didn't see that the keeping of the law was what was going to make them right before God. They understood that it was Jesus Christ only. But these rumors about Paul were so devastating. And these rumors were that Paul, while he was on his missionary journeys, as he's going through Asia Minor, as he's going through the different regions, he's telling Jews that have spread out in, in, in those areas that once you come to faith in Jesus Christ, abandon the law, abandon your old Jewish heritage, get rid of the traditions. You don't need to circumcise your, your, your boys anymore. Just, just don't even worry. Just get rid of it all. Just pack it up. It's done. It's gone away with. And then he's even telling the Gentiles that believe that are turning to them, he's turning them against the law of Moses. And so these rumors are out there that Paul is compromising, that he's selling out. And it was so untrue. That's not what was taking place. And so James and, and the elders, and even no doubt the thousands of Jews in Jerusalem who are all still zealous for the law, for these Old Testament traditions, I mean, they all believed that salvation was only through faith alone in Christ alone. And that salvation in Christ was actually freedom from the law. Paul did not any longer insist on the, uh, on the need to observe the laws of, to the Gentiles anymore. He didn't want to turn Gentiles into Jews, but neither did he tell the Jews to get rid of the law completely. But these rumors were so devastating. You'll even see, I mean, in Paul's writings, how he even wrote through 1st and 2nd Corinthians through the book of Romans that, that, that Jesus Christ was the end of the law, but he never said get rid of and banish and just get rid of all those old traditions. Just don't see them as your means of salvation. And we see in Acts chapter 15, we saw this when we looked at, at, at that in the series some time ago, at the start of the third missionary journey, Paul actually had Timothy, his younger assistant, his, Paul was his mentor, he was like a son to Paul, Timothy was. And before they went on that third missionary journey, Timothy was circumcised. Paul had Timothy circumcised. 
because his mother was a Jew and his father was a Gentile. And so he'd never, uh, he didn't grow up in a home where God was being honored. And, and, and it was kind of this mixed marriage in that way. But Timothy gave his heart to Jesus Christ and was going to be a faithful follower and, ser and, and serve alongside of Paul. But Paul knew that having an uncircumcised half-breed, if you want to call him, um, going along with him would be an issue, a stumbling block for Jews. And, and they would say, well, what's this guy? And so Timothy agreed and Paul asked him to, to be circumcised so it wouldn't be a stumbling block to the Jews. And so Timothy was willing. Paul was one who lived out these words in 1 Corinthians 9. You can write down this reference. You can read it later. But here's what it says. It says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse, starting in verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, in other words, to Gentiles, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Just look at the way he's got to put all these qualifiers in because people are going to nitpick them apart. That I might win those who are outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that I might by all means that I might save some. I do this for the sake of myself. Is that what it says? No, what does it say? For the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. Paul was willing to do whatever it would take to see lost people saved, whether they be Jew, whether they be Gentile. And hear this nasty rumor. Don't you see how gossip and rumor and spreading of stories that are not true or only half true can be so damaging and so sinful and such a waste of time? But yet this is one of the greatest dangers to the body of Christ, to the unity of the body of Christ. Instead of going to a person, we go to other people. And that can be so dangerous. But here's one thing, folks. The more that you stand for Christ, the more serious you get about your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the more your character, your actions will be attacked. You'll be in a greater spiritual battle. It will happen and, and, and it will come at times from other Christians. It'll come from unbelievers. It will happen in the workplace. It will happen in the family. It will happen within the church, as I've already stated. This is what's happening to Paul. Obedience and commitment to Christ to, and commitment to his bride, to the church, will involve, at times, hardship. So we shouldn't be surprised when gossip or hate or false accusations or ridicules come our way. And so Paul wonders, what are we going to do about this? This is a problem. This is a big problem. And so here's the elder's response in verse 23. Let's continue to read. Do therefore what we tell you. So basically, here's the plan, Paul. This is what you're going to do. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. They all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. So Paul is like, what? What do you want me to do? Like, really? James and the other elders propose that Paul demonstrate his respect for the Jewish traditions and the customs by participating in a vow. This was probably a Nazarite vow that four other men were already partaking in. And so they said, Paul, you need to go through a seven-day process which involves some purification. Oh, and Paul, by the way, pick up the expenses for these four other guys. You pay it out of your own pocket. And this wasn't just like some giving them a $20 bill. This involved three sacrifices for four people, including himself, this was a considerable expense. And I'm sure this idea when Paul heard this was like, are you kidding me? How distasteful. How crazy. You can't be serious. Like, you want me to do what? I mean, why don't you just go and defend me or give me a chance to just rip into these people and tell, look at my track record. Look what I've done. 
Let the ignorant be ignorant. Let them keep on going. Forget it. I'm not going to do it. Let the haters hate and I'm just going to keep on going. Is that what Paul says? No. We see in humility, he submits to God's authority here on this earth. Paul was willing to set aside his rights to help others walk with God. To set aside his rights to help others walk in truth. And so Paul is willing to pay for these other men. He's willing to submit to this seven-day purification ritual. And he himself followed through in this to put the rumors to rest. Look at what happened in verse 26. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went to the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled in the offering presented for each one of them. Paul didn't want to be a stumbling block. Instead, he, in humility, was submitting to the authority over him. But that was Paul's character. He was willing to do anything for Christ. He was willing to do anything for the lost people. And he understood, hey, if this helps some lost souls or some people who are hurt or confused or believe in these things about me, if this is going to help just give clarity, I'm willing to do it. He said, I'm willing to be all things for all people, for, for the sake of lost people. Remember in Romans 9, where he even says, and I don't know if any of us would go this far, he says, I would be willing to be eternally accursed. He's saying, I, am, I would even be willing, if it would be possible, to go to hell myself, to suffer in hell, if it would mean that others would come to Christ. I mean, what a passion. He was willing to do whatever it would take, including submitting to those in authority over him. Like Jesus, who humbled himself. He wasn't looking out for his own interest, but the interest of others. And so Paul, in humility, places himself under the authority of the church leaders. He's placed himself under God's given authority. You know, I think this is an important thing, a little pause for examination in our own lives. How are you at placing yourself under authority? In the Wild West, we don't like it here much, do we? We don't want to be told what to do. We will do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, with whom we want to do it, and no one's going to tell me any different. How are you when it comes to obeying the ultimate authority of the Word of God? God has given us authority here on this earth, but the ultimate authority is His Word. Are there areas in your life that you would be a yabat follower of Christ? You know what God's word says, but it's yabat, and we start with the excuses. I know what God's word says about sexual immorality, having sex outside of marriage, yabat. I know what God's word says about gossip, yabat. I know what God's word says about how I should handle my finances, yabat. And we live our lives like that. You're not under the authority of God in that way when we start straying from his truth and we're living a dangerous life and a dangerous lie if we are. God calls us to be under the authority of his word, but then he's also placed other authority in our lives. Or another one, I mean, just want to pick on everyone. I know God's word says I should forgive. Yeah, but, and we come up with and forgiveness can be a process, but it's not a process that you say, oh, it's going to start like six months from now. No, that process, we start the process today. We're holding on to bitterness. We're holding on to petty things. Yeah, but, and we come up with our excuse. No, there's no excuse. What does God's word have to say? We desire to follow his word, be under his authority. That's where life, that's where power, that's where joy, that's where his strength, that's where, that's where life makes sense. But then he's given us other places. We have numerous passages in the word of God. Romans 13, 1 Timothy 2, Titus 3, 1 Peter 2, where we are to respect. Listen, we're in a federal election right now. It's hard. It's really hard. But we are to respect. We are to honor. We are to obey. We are to pray for the God-given rulers and authorities over us even if they do some crazy things or have done crazy things in their past? How do we speak and post about our elected officials? 
authority that God has placed over us? How do we speak about them? How do we post about them? How do we think about them? We may not like it, and, and we might say, yeah, but they didn't have a lot of, you know, they didn't have what we have today in elected office. Uh, they had Nero, who was rounding up and killing Christians. They had Caesar, who, in Jesus' day, that would go around and tax people in crazy, crazy amounts. And what did Jesus say? He says, you pay to Caesar what is owing to Caesar. You pay to God what is owing to God. He says, you honor the king. You honor them, unless you are told to do something that is immoral, illegal, that goes against the word of God. That's the only caveat we have. God's word calls us to do this, and it's tough. And we, I believe, need to pray for and hold one another accountable that we would be reflectors of God's love and grace, even in election time. How about when it comes to other authority in in our land? Police authority, patrol cars, those ones with the flashing lights. You're like, okay, pastor, now you're meddling. Now you're going where you shouldn't go. I'm preaching it myself. We honor them. How about the tax man? Jesus said, pay to Caesar what is owing to Caesar. Even when it comes to the spiritual authority, Hebrews 13, verse 17, it says, there is a call and a command to submit, to obey the elders, the leaders in your church. Now, this isn't a blind following. We are not to follow those who are not following Christ. If leaders are diverting away from the word of God, if they're going along with that kind of weird theology, the Lord told me this, but you don't see this kind of thing in scripture, don't follow, be careful. But God has, this isn't a blind following. We are to follow those leaders that are following Christ, that are following the word of God. Leaders whose lives are exemplifying, not perfectly, but a growing fruitfulness and faithfulness to the word of God, to the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, a dependency upon the Lord, and a dependency in desiring to follow his word and lead the church in that way. Are you following the leadership that God has placed in your life? Whether that be in the land, God's word, the, the, the authorities over us in our government, even within the church. Doesn't mean even in the life of the church that you have to agree with everything or that every decision that, that is made, but it also means that there can be conversations. You can ask questions. You can get clarity. You can ask to meet. That's a good thing. That's a good thing because sometimes rumors or just false understanding can go on and, and, and let's nip those things in the bud. It doesn't mean that you can't respectfully disagree. That's okay. It's how we do it. It's going to that person that we disagree with rather than to others. And so do you follow? Do you follow your leaders? Do you pray for your leaders? Do you pray for the leaders and their families? Are we praying for our political leaders that God would show up in their lives in a powerful way and some of the, we would pray that there would be a Damascus Road experience for them, that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Folks, leadership is hard. Everyone has ideas and agendas and plans and wants and needs and it's trying to maneuver through not only that but more importantly, what does God say? What does God want for our family? What does God want for our church? What does God want for our land? And I'll be honest with you, I wake up many times in the middle of the night overwhelmed and burdened with the care and the responsibility of leading a family knowing I'm responsible for. But then the authority and the leadership that God has allowed me to have to pastor his church especially in light of my own deficiencies and selfish and fleshly, fleshliness, if that's such a word, how inadequate I feel oftentimes, knowing that James 1, or James chapter 3, verse 1, where James writes, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged more with greater strictness. That's a burden, Yet this is something that we embrace as a calling from God and something I have to continue to embrace. And I trust wherever God has given you leadership, you would lead in dependency and humility, but you would lead under the authority of God, whether that be in the workplace, within church life, in ministry, in your family, in, in the community associations you're a part of. Oh, would you lead with diligence, with truth, with, with, with a dependency upon God in, in complete humility. And here we see Paul submitting and obeying the instruction of the elders. And 
Let's see how it goes. Let's continue on. This brings us to our third point. Third principle, in humility, we see suffering as part of God's plan. So Paul agrees. He does what's, what, what's asked him. He pays the money. He goes through these ceremonies, the, these purifications, and, and it says, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, now these weren't believers from Asia. These were people who tried laying a licking on him back in, in, in Ephesus at the start, or partway through his third missionary tour. Seeing him in the temple, they stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help us. This is the man who is teaching everyone, everywhere against the people and the law and the, against the people and the law in this place. That was a bull-faced lie that they were giving at the time. And then it goes on, moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen him with Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him to the temple. Again, uh, not true. Paul had too much respect for the temple to do that. Paul wouldn't do such a thing. Verse 30. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. Now, remember, stirred up all the city. This means people had gathered together for the Feast of Pentecost, why Paul wanted to be there, and so they believed that quite possibly the Jews in Jerusalem had swelled to over two million people at the time. And so there was this outcry that was going on, and and this mob mentality was was taking place. I, I like how, I think it was John MacArthur described a mob like this. A mob is a body of people with no head. See that today at times, don't we? They seized Paul, as it continues in verse 30, they seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once, when they, once the gates were shut, and as they were seeking to kill him, because by rights, if he did bring a Gentile into the, past the court of the Gentiles into the area for Jews only, it was punishable by death. So they're right, they're, they're seeking to kill him here. They're seeking to kill him. And word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Folks, this wasn't just a roughing up kind of thing. This wasn't just a light little beating. They were, they were going after him. Verse 32, he at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came and asked him and ordered him to be, to be bound with two chains. Now, this was probably for his own protection. Hey, let's just put this guy under, you know, um, police protection in a sense. Let's bind him up, and, 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 and this way it's going to look like we have it all under control. He inquired who he was and, and what he did. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people following, crying out, away with him, away with him. And so even as they're, carry, as they're walking with him and then even carrying him, people are punching him. People are just trying to get their licks into him. And with that, this is where we're going to stop for today and bring this to an end. Well, Paul obeys. He does what he's told and look what good it did him. Nothing. In fact, things go from bad to worse. <laughs> They're literally trying to kill him. This mob is convinced. They are convinced he must die. And how does Paul react? What happens next? We'll look more into it next week. Or you can read on ahead. But here's the consistent pattern that we see in Paul's life. We see this here, we've seen it before, we will continue to see it, that even in brutal suffering, Paul saw it was all part of God's plan. This is something that we need to take and apply to our lives as well. As a dear friend who walked with me year, uh, years back through a very difficult time in ministry, continued to remind me week after week when we would meet, he said, Meldon, this is all father-filtered. This is all, it's passed through the throne room of heaven as an acceptable trial for you to go through. 
And so oftentimes when the things happen in our life, maybe it's a slow fade or maybe it's a quick thing of, uh, you know, a, a quick, you know, bad news event or something that comes our way that didn't see it coming sort of thing. Maybe it's a slow fade or maybe it's something quickly that came upon us. When life comes crashing down, so oftentimes we don't react like Paul, do we? Instead, it's, God, why? God, where are you? How could you do this to me? You have forsaken me. What's going on here? This isn't fair. And we give that to God and he can handle it. But we mustn't stay there. Why did you let the devil do this? Or why are these devil-like people doing this to me? Folks, we have to see that there's something bigger, something greater going on. And we're going to see that in the coming weeks, what God would bring from this. But whether it's our suffering in life or taking a stand for Christ or just the, the suffering and the sorrow that comes because we're living in a sin, sick, cursed world where there's so much hurt, there's abuse, there's disease, there's drugs, there's so much junk going on in our lives, whether it is suffering because of those kind of things or suffering as a result of our own consequences that we've brought on upon ourselves because of our own sinful choices that we've made. Because remember, folks, choose to sin, choose to suffer. We're going to reap what we sow in, in time. We will. But even as we're dealing with the circumstances perhaps of our sin because of our waywardness, we know that God can and will work through that through any trial. We can come to the point where we come to God on our knees before him and surrendered and, and say, God, right here, right now, I give this to you. I don't see what good it is, but God, in humility, I'm surrendering myself to you that this is part of your good and your perfect plan for my life, for my family, whatever it is. And God, I cannot see it right now. In fact, right now, it's all blindness, darkness, it's just rage, it's whatever it is. But God, in humility, I come before you and would you bring good from this? And he can and he will. And God, whatever it is that you want to accomplish in me, God, do it. In the midst of, I have no clue what's happening. I don't know how this will end. I don't know how it will turn out. We put our faith and we put our trust and our rest in God. When facing unbelievable challenges, we view suffering as part of God's plan. Listen to what Peter wrote in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our suffering, the trials that we face, the mundaneness maybe in life where you're at right now, whatever it is that you're facing in your family, in your finances, in your marriage, in your health, in a relationship, in a ministry you're serving, in your work, in your career, in the rejection, perhaps even the ridicule, the abuse, the loneliness, even the depression. God is saying, I can and I will use this to produce something good in your life. The refiner's fire is hot and it's not very friendly at times, but it's producing something beautiful, pure and amazing. Taking and applying what we're learning here today, the three questions by living what we are learning, let's practically apply it. First question, where am I at? Where am I taking the glory that God deserves? Are you a glory thief? 
Are you desiring, are you living your life so people look at you and how awesome you are or how awesome and great God is? How are you declaring God as being over and in all things in your life, giving glory to him? Where are you taking the glory that God deserves? Repent of that and give it back to him with a thankful and a grateful heart and learn daily that we are to to live our lives in humility in that way before God. What areas do I need to submit to those in authority over me? That's a question only you can answer. If you're all good right now, praise the Lord. Wait till tomorrow, it'll probably change. (laughs) And it continues as we go on through our lives. This isn't a one and done thing. This is a continual just submitting ourselves to God in humility. And thirdly, what do I need to entrust to God's sovereign rule and reign in my life? Let's pray together. God, in this room today, I know it, I know it, I know it, that there's confusion, there's discouragement, there's hurt. For some, it's loneliness. Some, it just seems like they're just falling down a well and it just is a continuous fall into areas of sin or addiction and it just seems there's no help and there's just no victory. God, for others, it's rejoicing because life is good. God, wherever we are at today, would we humbly submit ourselves to you in thanksgiving and praise for the things that are zipping along just beautifully that we're thankful for and grateful for and and, and how you've blessed us. Oh, may we not take the glory upon ourselves, but give it all to you. God, I pray that we would all look at the authority that you've placed in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, in our church, in our government, in in the governing authorities over us. Oh God, that we would be respectful and pray for and honor and, and, and live our lives in a peaceful and agreeable way still having a voice, still voicing our concern, but doing it in love, doing it with grace, doing it with humility, so that Christ would be seen in us. This is the counterintuitive way. It doesn't seem like it will work, but it does. It does, it does, it does. And God, for those walking through the hardships and the trials right now, I even pray even now, oh God, would they submit and surrender right where they're at today and say, God, I don't understand it. But we worship you, Jesus, here now in the moments ahead and we surrender ourselves to you and I pray that this song would become a declaration today and for the rest of our lives that we will trust you, we will follow you, we will desire to then live our lives full out for you in the way that we see exemplified in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for examples like Paul. Thank you for many other great examples in church history of men and women who have faithfully followed. Oh God, would we be counted among those, not looking for the accolades of man, but hearing one day from you, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's worship the Lord together.